You're now listening to a new episode of Gratitude Through Hard Times. Gratitude instills humility. Gratitude removes ego. Gratitude helps empower the best in others around you. Our goal is to guide individuals and companies to practice gratitude so you can live a longer, happier, and more successful life. Get ahead of life with connection and purpose. This is Gratitude Through Hard Times with Chris Shembra. Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of Gratitude Through Hard Times. It's your host, Chris Shembra. Some of you have been such loyal listeners, you remember when our podcast used to be called 747 Conversations. You've made it to the right place. For all you loyal listeners and subscribers out there, I thank you for coming back to yet another episode. Some of my favorite moments throughout the week are when you send in your thoughts, questions, comments, concerns of our recent episodes, and you let us know what your takeaways have been. If you're new to our podcast, I want to give you a big old welcome. You've stumbled upon a show that is all about bringing great leaders on to tell the stories of how gratitude has helped shape them into the wonderful leaders that they are today. If you look through our episode archives, you'll see episodes with Fortune 500 CEOs, Academy Award winning, Super Bowl champions, and more. You, We bring on the best and the best to remind you that greatness lies within all of us if you maintain an attitude of gratitude. Today's guest I am so excited about. Um, I had the opportunity to join today's guest on his podcast just a few short weeks ago, and I gotta say it's one of the most entertaining things I've ever done. We were introduced by my dear friend Esther Raphael who met this wonderful guest down at a conference in South Florida and said, you guys are going to become besties. And boy, oh boy, we're going on that path. We got Shane Snow in common. We got marketing analytics in common. Oh, wait, no, I'm not in the marketing analytics space, but this guy is the king of it all. Today, we have Josh Golden, the CMO of Quad. One of the greatest companies that you've likely never heard of. <laughs> a 51-year-old publicly traded marketing solutions company with $3 billion in revenue that Josh yeah. serves as their CMO. A family-owned and operated company that's got a tremendous history with Harry, with Joel, uh, and now into the public markets. But Josh is quite a stellar career. Most visibly, he was president and publisher at AdAge, uh, spurred a transformative growth of that 90-year-old dinosaur. No, he <laughs> was a monster of the industry. He's held executive, ex- executive positions at Xerox and NBC Universal, Gray Group, Digital at Havas and Young and Rubicam, Y&R, David Sable in the house. The list goes on. I like him the best. As being the host of the hit podcast, Three Things I Know For Sure, where he brings on amazing experts like Dory Clark and, and all these great people to tell three things that they know for sure, like 100% sure of one topic. And that's my favorite part of 
of Josh's uh, career in life, and we're we're becoming fast friends. And it's such an honor to have him on the podcast here today. So, without a round of applause, uh, Josh, welcome to the podcast. Chris, thank you so much. Wow, that was <laughs> one hell of a warm up. I uh, <laughs> you've done your research. I should be like a hype man. Yes, I am. Uh, I am thrilled to be here. So happy to have had you on my show, um, and I'm happy. Uh, I'm I'm kind of endlessly feeling uh, grateful. Uh, and and thank you to Esther for the connection uh, because she was right. She was a hundred percent right. Um, uh, you and I, uh, we do uh, we do speak the same language without even knowing one another. Uh, and I'm just so thrilled to be here and tell you. I guess that's the best part. I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to tell you, but I'm going to tell you yeah. all the things. I'm not. We're not going to talk about what I do. I want to talk about what you do. You know what? The good news, and to all our loyal listeners who are used to me saying this, the good news is that people want to hear your authentic story, and people want to have permission to know. All they got to do is show up every day as themselves, seeking meaningful moments of connection, and live with a little bit of a positive mental attitude, and they'll be just fine. Right, our listeners, everything from Inc. 500 venture back, publicly traded founders and CEOs, all the way down to that mom and pop legal assistant, law firm, real estate agent who's you know going for the next thing. Um, now, our listeners are used to us are used to us asking a specific question to start off our podcast, and I. Um, I know you know of the question, and so I'm going to encourage you to go deep. And for all the new listeners, you will hear this question at the beginning of all 220 of our episodes if you subscribe and then share this episode and go back and listen. Um, But Josh, this is the question that saved my life. This is the question we dedicate our entire life to. If you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't, give enough credit or thanks to that you've never thought to thank, who would that be? Well, I thought about this one only because I uh, read your book and I had the benefit of um, thinking about it a lot. Um, the, the truth is, Chris, I'm a, I'm a real gratitude guy. So I'm, I'm always thanking everyone uh, from the, when I was at AdAge, the people who worked my events, I made certain that I walked around to every single person and thanked each person who was, you know, running an event uh, for their specific effort. I, yeah, I thank, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a big gratitude guy. As a matter of fact, my uh, memoir, which one day I will write, is um, uh, a thousand thank you notes, uh, notes, of, notes of gratitude and, um, and, and thankfulness uh, that have basically helped me traverse my career. Because I do not believe I could have gotten to where I've gotten uh, without uh, without people helping me. Um, so um, I would say it's I'm, I'm I had to I had a conversation with my wife about it this weekend. I said, "Who is there? How would you?" Would I asked her the question, and she was like, "That's interesting. I I feel like I I thank people a lot." And I I said where I landed on this, and it's it's um it's hard, and I'm going to leave a name out of it because it's 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 the opposite answer, which is the I'm thankful sometimes. This is this is a person I'm thankful for. I'm thankful. I mean, actually, you know what? I'm gonna start with. I'm gonna start this way. Uh, even though um, uh, everyone who knows me knows how much I uh, uh, how I lo- how much I loved my dad, um, and my dad is no longer with us, and he died in November of 2019. But he celebrated his. In my mind, <laughs> I had a little birthday walk with him yesterday morning because it was December 11th was his birthday, and I boy, I still talk to him, and um, 
well, I, I, well, I believe that I've always been thankful for him and all that he's done in teaching me how to be a good father and, uh, which I think is the most important job, but also to be a, a good partner and a good, and a good listener because he was a much better listener than I ever was. But as I was walking around the block, I thought to myself, um, there is, I'm, if it was possible, I'm still learning from him after he's been gone. And I, um, I was thinking about all the things that he would have offered as pearls of wisdom, uh, which he was so good at. There was a strange thing that he had about his capacity to listen and about how so many people felt that he was more of a father to them than many people uh, feel about, about how they all felt about their own father. So I, uh, I did tell him this while he was alive and he knew how I felt, but I feel like it would be strange for me not to offer this deepest and most sincere feeling of gratitude for having the kind of father that I had that inspired me to, to love the woman who I love today and love my children the way I do and, and, and know how to fix a light switch without turning off the, the breaker, you know, the kind of things that a good dad will do. Uh, and I am endlessly grateful about my relationship with him that it was, that was pure. And I feel um, uh, sad not to have him, but so deeply, even the 74 years, sorry, I guess it was less, uh, you know, 55 years that I had with him, um, that, um, that I'm, I'm just, I'm super, super fortunate about, about that. And, uh, that is, that is the piece that I'm, I'm the most excited about, about being able to not excited. That's the, that's the piece that I'm the most thankful for. Uh, but so I wanted to open with that beginning and then to actually directly answer your question, I think a lot about, um, you know, people that I know that sounds strange and maybe people have gone this direction before, but I'd like to thank a, uh, someone who worked with me before who was horrible to me, (laughs) you know, who was, who was a a bad person to me. And, uh, it educated me on just, you know, that, that motivating people to do something that's hard. It really, it's not done best by being mean or being harsh or, or I mean, it sometimes requires some of that here and there, but I don't think mean ever and harsh rarely. So I really feel like this, this person taught me how to be a better leader by, by, by in fact, being a bad leader to me and a bad mentor to me. And so I, I appreciate that person for their lack and their, their, the way that they were, because it taught me things that I would never do. Like maybe just like a bad parent might be like, well, I'm never doing it that way. This is what this, this, this person did for me. Isn't it interesting that we've been, uh, you know, we've been promoted all our lives that we should have some like North star, this like goal that we always want to hit this way that we always want to be this direction that we always want to take. Um, what it sounds like is you aren't guided as a leader necessarily by a North star of what you aspire to be, but you're kind of guided by a South star, which is what you don't want to be. Well, yeah. I mean, I think to be fair, to be both, I have both in my, both. like I have a good solid compass. Like 
you know, I had my dad always like, you know, a solid leader, amazing, inspire, a wonderful listener. And I'd love to say, uh, you know, an old soul. I'm, I don't think my wife just doesn't ever describe me as an old soul. He's just, like, you're no. old. No, <laughs> just old. Though. You're just old. Like you're, you're a more youthful soul, she says, because she's seems to be an older soul. Uh, but um, uh, she, so my my uh, having the north star of the people who I surrounded myself with, um, uh, much like my dad, who are inspiring to me as mentors. But now that my dad is gone, I've I've adopted fifteen more wonderful people to give me that kind of bounce off insight that I, I am so grateful for those people. At the same time, I still remember the bad experiences that I've gone through in my past uh, that I was like, and not those things for sure. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how bad it is, I'm not doing it. How, how much have you actively coped or processed the feelings you felt when that negative behavior presented itself? What to in front of me, uh, from, uh, from a, from a, uh, from a person I was working with. Yeah. Um, I went through some hard times with, uh, uh, with some folks, uh, <laughs> and it was like, wow, this is hard for me. Cause I would just, I'm not, I don't think of myself as like a, uh, uh, I guess I am. I, I and actually probably am. I'm, I'm, high, I'm highly, uh, I, I'm, I have an emotional uh, appreciation at least for like most people won't, wouldn't, shouldn't behave that way. Uh, professionally at least. And even as a, from just a human to human perspective. So I, I really get upset when I see some lack of justice in the world and that makes me mad. And then I become less, um, um, rational. <laughs> and I, I need that moment of like, well, this is not working. So I do process. Um, I do process when someone is behaving in a way that's not necessarily the way I would like to, to ever to, to someone to behave towards me. So I, I do process it, but I, I really, um, I, but I also, I register it as, as a, as like, a, um, as like I'm watching a movie almost like that is not working. And, and the, and I'm reading the room and whatever they're doing is not having a positive impact. It's not going to help them achieve their goal. Um, so I, I register it as like, as a focus group of one, this is not going to work. Let's try a different way. So I, 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 I try to record when I'm watching big moments of like leadership, like, is this, does this method work? And very rarely do I find like, well, that's, that's what I'm going to adopt. Um, except if it's a, a, of a, like, I see people being genuine or emotional or um, uh, being real human and those kinds of things. I'm like, yeah, that, that's what, that's what moves people. That's what gets people to engage. That's what makes people care because when we're, you know, in jobs are all hard or else they wouldn't call it a job. You know, it's hard. And, and I like to motivate people. I like to solve puzzles. That's what I do. When you think about marketing and the world that I, I live in, it's always about like, how do I get this to be a thing that people want to do or want to engage with? And, um, I think about the the all the pieces you line up to make it feel like oh that that actually worked that formula worked let's try that again over here so I've had multiple jobs where I've been always the person to come in and say let's do the hard thing mm-hmm. so if here you are stepping up to the plate saying let's hey I want to be a part of this hard thing and then you look around and be like who's with me <laughs> and if you're not an engaged entertaining, exciting, inspirational human being, you will forever have no one charging up the hill with you. You'll be alone. So I found that it's just so much better to be 
uh, grateful and so much better to be enthusiastic and so much better to be positive and so much better to be very rarely, very rarely um, pointed. However, uh, and just like uh, referencing my dad again, he very rarely spoke. The man said few words, but when he spoke, it was like, well, shit, that's really smart. I should have, you know, and, and it was like, uh, it's, you're probably too old for you, but there was this commercial where when, when EF Hutton talks, people listen. And it was a, it was a, it was a financial consulting firm or financial firm. And the whole commercial was EF Hutton was about to talk and everyone was just like, they just got quiet. So this is what happened when my dad would do this thing. He had a, he had this thing. It was just a habit. Never would, he wouldn't ever really, you know, speak much, but when he would speak, he would clear his throat before he would speak. It was like, that was it. And the whole, I'm talking 50 people would just shut up and just be like, he's going to say something. (laughs) So rarely talk. Anyway, um, this my, my point is when you're, when you're that, when you're connect to people together and you're positive, a positive influence, they kind of want to do hard things. So I tend to I found that this is the thing that gets people to be excited about doing the hard thing with me. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. I think it was Business Insider or it was the New York Times or it was the Wall Street Journal. I don't know. Someone did an, an expose about you joining Quad. And uh, what they said was that, uh, you know, the greatest thing that you're bringing to Quad is your ability, a unique ability to transform organizations. Um, as you did with Xerox, as you did with NBC Universal, as you did as president and publisher uh, of of Ad Age, and so my question is: When you realized that you uh, had the power of transformation within you, or or I, sh- I should actually ask a, a predecessor question, which is: What ways have you had to transform as a leader throughout mm-hmm. the years, and what are the telltale signs that you need to make that transformation yourself? That's a great question, Chris. I will tell you, I've had three major chapters of leadership that I, I think that I would say are pretty, at least obvious to me. In my early days, I, I went to film school and uh, I was a communications major and I went out to LA and I was I was kind of this, uh, I worked on the OJ Simpson trial for the prosecution and I was like, I was... I was a 20-year-old, 21-year-old, you know, working for Marsha Clark. Every night she would call me and be like, we have another problem. And I would come up with an idea and produce something and deliver it. And I was really kind of a, a deliverer. I wasn't running a team, obviously, but, a, you know, I was still in that role. It was like the most visible trial of the century. It was nuts yeah. that I was provide, making that stuff happen. But that was a time where I was really sort of understand, like honing the craft piece of that and that wasn't really leadership at all, which is sort of, I know I'm going to learn how to do this really, 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 really well. And it was more storytelling than it was like in marketing, but that's still the same, same, you know, the second time, uh, it's funny. I was, I was at, you know, when I was on the agency side and I was running an account and I was, you know, I was, I thought I was a pretty good account manager. And then they were like, would you, the agency leaders, would you like ask me to run the team? And I was like, I'd love to run the team. That sounds amazing. But I thought that I was going to be running multiple pieces of business. <laughs> Turns out when you're um, <clears throat> promoted to running the team, you actually don't touch business at all. You're touching, you're just managing people. And that was a big mistake for me because I was like, I wanted to run the business. I love the business piece. And so I learned at that time, like I had to learn how to be a manager and I didn't know how mm. to do that. And I thought that being a manager was much more about describing and explaining and 
and doing it for them a little bit. And what I found uh, in my early 30s was that I was horrible at it. I was like actually bad at managing people because I didn't know how to do it. And I'm not saying I've totally nailed it just yet, but I do know that the more that I became less about the business per se and more on focusing on having the smartest people around me possible and those smart, obviously way smarter than me, but then inspiring them to, to do their best thing um, and just pushing them out on stage and be like, you're going to nail this. And they're like, it's not me. I don't know what I'm talking about. Like, I know you feel that way, but you have to go out there and, and, and tell everyone what you think, whether it was a, for a picture or a, you know, on stage presence. And as in my, my latter part of my career, this is how I, this is my game plan. Like I choose the hardest thing I can go make happen. Um, I know you included in the, in your warm up. you know, how quad is a company that, that, that no one knows, but the truth is they are known somewhat, but the, 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 the largest part of quad is that they're a manufacturing company and they've just recently acquired numbers of different sort of agencies to help solve marketers problems better and deliver a better marketing experience for their customers. And my whole perspective on that is it's really hard for companies to transition. NBC, same story, AT&T, same story. And, you know, uh, Xerox, same story. Everyone wants their company to evolve. I just happen to be the marketer that they come to when it's like an, it, 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 hopefully not Sisyphean task, but a task that's achievable but you have to get the right motivation behind it. So I feel like this is my secret formula that I mm. approach every every single job with. I go in, I have a I have a plan, but I go and get the most brilliant people to surround me with and and heap praise onto them and put them out and give them opportunities to grow. And that's what I I just love doing that thing. That that um that attitude uh uh, your founder Harry uh, many years ago famously said that a can-do attitude leads to rapid-fire growth. When the chips are stacked against you and the odds are too great to muster, and you're acquiring all these things, and they turn to you, that's a lot of pressure for a thirty thousand, forty thousand person organization. However, you know, big you guys are, how do you maintain that positive mental attitude? even through the hardest of your times? Like, how do you do that in your personal life as a leader? Um, so Harry, uh, just because I, I didn't get a chance to meet him, but uh, his son is running the company and his name is Joel and he's just a fabulous leader and has the same energy and, and, and vim um, and vigor that, uh, that Harry had. A different, I think, different kind of persona, but still just so amazing people. Like, you're, they're people leaders, you know? Um, and so in my personal life, in the way that I, I, I guess I approach a business problem um, because I, 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 can I describe, I, I, here's how I describe yes. it. It's like, yes. it's like, <laughs> it's like falling in love. Um, you, you go, you know, it's like an interview is like a first date and a, you know, a couple times in you're then you're dating and you're more, you know, it gets more serious and you, you know, you're having, well, you come up with a strategic plan. So I can, I can, you know, line these, these things up. And when you realize that you've fallen in love with the brand, just like you've fallen in love with the, with the person, you understand them and you appreciate it. You, you are, the ugly parts are not as ugly, uh, but like, you still like, that's a little ugly. We've got to work on that. Um, um, 
but if you fall in love with what you do, and every time it's like another time of falling in love, it's this wonderful way to re-explore your your process, your own personal process. This is why I'm, I'm developing this metaphor as we're talking, but I I like that feeling of falling in love and then and then helping and working together to all pull the same rope to go feel like you're you're helping the company evolve and grow and there's just nothing better than helping a great bunch of people like and quad is particularly filled with wonderful people in midwestern and it's it's center so it's really kind-hearted people that really want to succeed. And my coming in the last year and a half, I felt like so, they've been celebrating, you know, the fact that we've moved so quickly and efficiently. So I tend to feel like the process that I follow is falling in love. If you can fall in love with your work, then it's not really work. It's just like, oh, I it's like a great hobby that you're getting paid for. Um, and so that's how I've been approaching it. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but I, I think it, it makes sense. It does. What would you say to people who can't find love in their work? I say, uh, this is the, this is what I believe. My wife, uh, she is a singer songwriter. Uh, and, and, and when she signed her record deal, she said to me, Josh, cause we, thought when she signed her record deal that like it was done we were done it was it we were done we we're gonna we we're gonna retire that was it she's like what would you do she said to me what would you do if money didn't matter and i was like oh my god what a great question um um i don't know and i thought about it for a couple months and i said you know what i would do i would do a tech show a tech show and- tech show. And uh, a couple months later, very fortuitously, her uh, best friend from elementary school knew a terrific uh, friend of his and had to be happened to be running a local cable network. And I was at a party with him. I was like, you know, I have an idea for a tech show called Golden's Gadgets. And, um, and uh, uh, shout out to Rich French and Mark French <laughs> on this one, <laughs> because they, um, you know, they gave me the best job of my life and I got a chance to do something that I, I <laughs> didn't get paid for, but I loved it. I loved it. And actually it sparked my interest in doing shows like I did with Eureka and, and three things. I do, I do the thing, do the thing that you would do for free for your job. And that's, if, if you can find that, you got to find the thing. If you're not doing the thing you love, then you got to do it on the side because you have to you mm-hmm. have to breathe in to breathe out and i don't i don't um i don't believe that anyone should be doing something they're just doing for for money although i recognize there's sort of this you know i i'm very fortunate enough to be doing the thing that i that i really enjoy and getting paid for it some people aren't so fortunate so i say to those people who come to me and have this career conversation. I'm like, what would you do for free? Let's start doing that thing and grow that portion of your life. So you can say, yeah, I've been doing this for two years. So on the side, but you know, I'm actually a pretty good writer or whatever it happens to be. And so I say that the, for folks that aren't in love with what they're doing, you have to find that love because it is going to limit your, I don't know, your capacity for, you know, for the, the love of life. It's, um, it's so beautiful how you said you got to breathe in to breathe out. You know, you got to take care of that heart and soul within you in order to take care of someone else's heart and soul, whether it's your customers or it's a brand that you're working alongside or it's a team you're leading. You know, it's so important for our listeners to to hear that permission that um, you don't have to stop whatever you're doing to go you know, quit your job and pursue a life of passion and hope that it all works out. Uh, what Josh is really saying is that you can stay where you are 
in a hopefully stable and, and healthy work environment. Develop your passion on the side, but don't put the pressure to monetize it. I mean, how many times in life do people find something that they love outside of their job? They find something that they love and they put the pressure on themselves to make it their side hustle. They're like, yeah. they're side, like I got to do this and it's got to make some money and blah, like, no, just like do things for the sake of doing them in a very atelic way. I mean, you can look back to the, the ancient stoic philosophy, uh, uh, ancient stoic philosophers talked a lot about telic versus atelic activities. And maybe this leads to my next question, a telic activity, which is derived from the word telos, um, which would mean Aristotle used the word a lot to kind of represent like something that brought you to a fixed point, a goal, an end destination, a result. Like a telic activity would be, I'm going to get married. I want to get a promotion. I want to buy this thing. It's got an end result that you can measure. The problem with telic activities is that, um, well, you're massively dissatisfied until you hit that end result or goal. <laughs> right. But right. then once you, once you do hit those end results or goals of those telic activities, you look and say, well, shit, that didn't satisfy me. What next? Right. right? And so if you operate the majority of your life in a telic-minded way, you're really putting a lot of pressure on mm -hmm. things. But if you can look at things that you do in an atelic way, where it's all about just the doing of the thing and the love mm -hmm. of the doing of the thing, not necessarily that it leads to an end result or purpose or goal or destination. Um, if you find those things, do not monetize those things. Do them for the sake of the joy of doing them, like a walk mm -hmm. in nature mm -hmm. or just reading a nonfiction or a fiction book that won't teach you anything. Do something leisurely. And, and why I think that's important for this conversation. I have a great, uh, I have it, a great story for that if you're interested in, in it, for sure. Let me, yes, I'll jump in. Yeah, okay. And. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, yes, and, and. And, yes, and then I'll get back to that yes. question. Uh, so the, the, my wife started playing tennis about to two, uh, four or five years ago now. And th at the beginning, I'd been playing tennis all my life and she started playing and I, I, I was beating her at the beginning, but never horribly, you know, six, four, six, three, always like being polite because I could just crush her and that'd be not fun. And then one day about maybe three years ago, she beat me six, one, six, oh. And I was like, that was just straight rude, 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 rude. And, and I was like, I would never have beat you that way. And, and then, so I started playing more. Now we're more evenly matched, but, but we decided because we're so, we're so competitive. <laughs> I said, let's not play a tennis game. There's this thing called infinity games uh, inside of tennis. There's, there's a definitive, like you can play tennis yeah. or you can play an infinity game in tennis. So the opposite of tennis is an infinity game. And an infinity game is the opposite of tennis because the objective is not to win. To win. It is not to, to lead to, to win a point. It is to have the rally extended as long as possible mm. and see how long you can collaborate from across ah. the net with one another. And so I love the telic versus a telic perspective because a telic goal, of course, is going to lead to potentially being annoyed with your wife about her beating your ass at tennis, where an a telic focus allows you to enjoy the love of the game of tennis and extend it for as long as possible because mm -hmm. you enjoy being with your wife mm -hmm. and it's fun playing tennis together, but it's the opposite of beating one another. It's collaborating from afar. So I think about the, um, 
that metaphor is so important for life because Matt. if you are trying to win at each moment, I want to get to this next plateau, you will be disappointed when you get there. And there's that letdown that happens actually. And people talk about it, how after they finish the thing, like, oh, I'm a little depressed after my wedding or I'm depressed after I, you know, my, my, my show is over because there was a goal you were trying to hit and then it's over. Yeah. The, and your the, question. The invention of a goal and the hitting of a goal in in its own invention is eliminates an activity that you love doing because you've just hit the goal, right? right? If you love writing and your goal is to write a book, once you've written the book, you're done writing and you love writing. So the accomplishment of a, a goal is paradoxical because it robs you of something you love doing on a consistent basis. Anyways, I, I, I have the, the same problem with movies watching it, when I'm finished with the movie. I like to have that. I go through a process where I go into the Wikipedia well, let's page in, and I read let's and invent a, let's invent a 50 hour film. No, it, one, <laughs> one of the last things that we're going to talk about, which is um, a very tactical question. Um, again, a reminder to our listeners, if you're tuning in, you're, literally hearing from one of the world's great marketers. I mean, how many people- That's such an overstatement. I don't want to no, like, disagree no, no, with you. But, but, like- but, but, but as an executive in a creative role, you're in, you're in charge of a company that employs many, many people and is responsible for like behind the scenes of like, what, the majority of our mail? Like, yes, 9% I'm, of the country's mail is sent by Quad. Yes, that's yeah, true. Like th- th- this is a big impact that your marketing ideas as an executive can have. And you were once quoted saying, when it comes to being creative, use your quiet time. Use a moment of calmness. As an executive, yes. as a leader, can you tell me how you use quiet and calmness to find your most creative thoughts? Yeah, I think that I don't do it enough for the record. But I do believe that the, the times when I am, when I give myself that permission to not think about work and to not be, uh, I can't call it not busy because I actually find that when I give myself a, an objective, I know it sounds silly, but sometimes it's spray washing, spray, spray, spray washing the backyard, but like, it's very methodical. Um, or I do a project with my son and building something and we're just working on something together. And it's very, it's, it's, you know, it's sanding the, you know, the, the front of the, you know, the, 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 uh, the door of the uh, back of our house, you know, it's, it's takes, takes 40 minutes, but you know, like you're really, you know, you're into it. And there's something about the, the physicalness that lets my brain go into this sort of next level uh, relaxation where it's very calm and it starts to crunch really hard on what I'm working on. And I, I, it's almost as if it's delivered like out of the microwave, finish the project and like, bing, and I open, I'm like, oh, look at this amazing popcorn that's been made. I, that's had, when that even happen? And, and that is the piece that, that the moments that I give myself where I'm not actively engaging and walking away, lets the secondary, I don't know where this is in my brain. I'm sure it's something that someone would know all about. Uh, but there's a secondary part that I'll, if I go away and step away, it allows for the solution to come to me. And I don't know how it exactly works, but it does work. I think Oliver Berkman has the answer to that in his book, 4,000 Weeks. And I think Alan Gannett might even have the answer to that in his book, The Creative Curve. Um, listeners, if you're if you're reading about that, definitely check out those two books on creativity and, and time management and finding calm and quiet in one's life. But I don't know the answer. 
Um, but the most important thing that you said in there is that you don't do it enough. And it's just an awesome, truthful moment of saying, I can believe these things. I can live these things. I can teach these things to my team, but how often do I do it myself? And I think that's the great takeaway for all of you listeners out there is that you um, taking care and appreciating that you do the work yourself needs to come first and foremost in order to show up in an empathetic, curious, listening, humble, yet confident way to your team. You must do the good work on yourself and appreciate the work that you do. Um, Josh, this has been a great podcast. We could go on and on and on for hours we and could. hours. I, would, I mean, I, I, I am so I'm ready. I'm now warmed up. Let's go. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I literally have, you know, questions about, you know, you, you, uh, marketers need to captain both speedboats and tugboats. Oh I God, grew so up true. as a shrimp boat captain. I was literally Did talking you? about my captaincy this morning with a new friend. And there's, uh, there's so many questions I want to ask you about, um, you know, how, how, uh, what triggers in your heart and soul when you see that there's a lack of justice in the world. I want to ask you about, um, how you go about thanking people that are staffing the event, not necessarily people mm-hmm. that are sitting in the event. I want to ask you about your thank you note rituals. I mean, I want to thank, uh, you know, the, part two is coming. So folks, um, thank you for tuning in. I want to honor Josh and my time as well. Um, but thank you for coming. Um, right. J- I'm just so to happy kinda- to, uh, to join you, Chris. I just love, I love what you focus on. I love that you're uh, that a guru exists in the world that's letting us sort of celebrate what I think is one of the most important characteristics uh, to do and to offer is being uh, feeling grateful. Feeling grateful, folks. That's that's all you can really do is you know wake up every day regardless of your circumstances and uh, try to maintain an attitude of gratitude. The choice is yours. The shift from ingratitude to gratitude is a slight shift in perspective with a few gratitude micro-interventions. You can read about some of those micro-interventions in our new book, Gratitude Through Hard Times. Um, It will outline a lot of the science and psychology that Josh actually talked about today on the call. I didn't get a chance to actually sharing about it on the podcast, but when Josh gave gratitude to a negative autobiographical experience from his past, that is evidence-based. Um, Philip Watkins, a researcher out of Eastern Washington University, actually coined the term grateful processing. And he found that when you can assign positive benefits to a negative autobiographical experience and give gratitude to it, you can actively work on coping and processing, making it part of your story and using it as a teaching moment for yourself and others. Um, So what Josh just did today was literally like the scientific version of gratitude. As you know, (laughs) we don't do the woo-woo stuff in this podcast. Everything is rooted in science and psychology. If you haven't clicked that subscribe button yet, we invite you to do so right now. Smash that subscribe button. Smash smash that subscribe button. Um, I can't wait for so many conversations to bring to you all. I thank you for your active listenership. Josh, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. To all our listeners, I say farewell. Uh, Hope you're having a phenomenal day on earth. Remember, folks, it's your world. Go explore and we'll see you next episode.